Vasudevaya. So, um, the power of choice. Wherever we find ourselves at any time, like even right now in time, and what we are experiencing, our experience of this thing we are referring to as life, it is the result of decisions that we have made, choices that we have made, and actions that we have taken. Taking taking ownership of our life and taking ownership of our decisions is really important. There is this tremendous tendency for people to want to lay claim for anything they think is good in their life as as theirs, and all of the crappy stuff, it's always somebody else's fault. Yeah or no? You guys are different than everybody else, I don't know. No. That's, that's what we do. And this is a very unfortunate state when we actually don't recognize the role that we play in determining our life's experience. People like to think that there's some, I don't know, impersonal kind of destiny or some force out there that's serving me a crap sandwich and that's why I'm suffering. It couldn't possibly be anything that I've done or any choices I've made. I'm perfect and everything I do is wonderful. It's got to be somebody else's fault. And that is not a reality that is extremely far from reality. Every single day of our life and almost every single moment in each day, we are having to make decisions. We are going to decide what direction we are heading in, whether we are going to do something or not do something. But for many of us, these are not conscious decisions. We also fail to recognize how we are being deeply and profoundly controlled by so many things. Anybody that's got one of these dudes and likes to play with it doesn't recognize how utterly controlled we are by what's going on here. You know, they got all these free apps. They call it social media. Well, media is right, but it's not social. 
mostly it's antisocial. People are taught really bad behaviors. They're taught not to take responsibility. They say and do things on that little device that they wouldn't do into somebody's face. You know, it's quite shameful that we've become so detached and so irresponsible. And the people that have designed these things, they are in it for one single reason. They have spent vast fortunes studying how to utterly manipulate you and control you. The whole design is to hold your attention for as long as possible. Why? Because they make money from doing that. You have become useful idiots who are being exploited unknowingly by people that don't have your best interest in mind. That same charge I can level against the entire advertising industry. Everybody that's trying to sell something is doing exactly the same thing. They spend huge amounts of money studying how best to manipulate you, how to get you to do things that you wouldn't do if you were just left on your own because they want to financially exploit you. Your ideas of what is cool, they're not your own ideas. They're ideas that other people have given you. Is that too harsh? Your idea of what is desirable is probably also given to you. We, we, we do not really understand and appreciate how we lack independence. We are not independent in our choices. We are told always what to think, what is cool, what is desirable, where happiness can be found. This is the messaging that we are utterly bombarded with. We have surrendered our independence in order to be able to live in this society in which we live. Now, I say this from a not just a spiritual perspective, but it is actually, it, there is a reality to it that is quite disturbing. And as a consequence, we go down all these rabbit holes And we don't experience or find what it is that we are actually looking for. You know, the rise, the rise of depression and anxieties is like, it's like nothing ever experienced by mankind ever in history. 
what's going on now. The condition of people's mental health. I, there was a new report that came out. I, I read it when I was going through Darwin there a few days back. They've come out with this big international report. Between 2010 and 2030, they're going to spend, the world is spending $16 trillion on things connected with people's mental health. The world is literally going mad. Literally going mad. Because we make choices that are not guided, they are not founded in actual knowledge. They're frequently founded in ignorance. And if you make, no, if you make choices that are founded in ignorance, you will suffer. If you are feeling lonely, if you are feeling anxiety, if you are unhappy, if you are depressed, if you are anxious about things, if you are feeling any pain within your heart, it is because of choices that you are making and things that you are adopting that are at their, at their most basic level incorrect. You are accepting as true that which is not true. Chasing these fantasies and ideas. There is this idea that's so pervasive. This idea that if I stimulate my mind and my body, my senses in different ways, and I really, really stimulate them, the pleasure that I experience will make me happy. And that is a monumental lie. There is absolutely no connection between happiness and sensual pleasure. You can, you can, uh, and I use the example of a lot because it's just really cool. Russell Brand, you know that guy? That guy is, is actually really intelligent. And I saw this interview he was doing on a book tour, and he was talking about his struggle with different forms of addiction and taking back control of his life. And he talked you know, really specifically about the experience of, of, of sensual pleasure and sensual happiness. And he's talking about what he used to do. He, he's going like, oh, I, I loved alcohol. I loved alcohol. He would drink gallons of alcohol. He loved it. He was a party animal. At the drop of a hat, with almost, he had a choice of sexual partners all the time, anything he wanted. He, I oh, loved cocaine. 
He was stuffing copious amounts of it up his nostrils. And of course, it's just firing off in the brain. You just have this, this unimaginable, unimaginable physical experience of all, you know, this dopamine rush, you know, that's just like there's nothing much that can parallel with it. And he goes, I, and I loved heroin. I loved it. And he's sticking huge amounts of it into his arm on a daily basis. So he's fluctuating between the, the rush and the zoned out thing, you know, and the alcohol just hanging loose to the, you know, the, the dark, quiet place of the opiate coma where you feel, you know, free from pain and suffering. And he was just doing this every day and he couldn't stop. He was saying, I was doing so much of it. And I felt suicidal. I'm doing all this stuff and it's stimulating me and making me, I'm getting these enormous rushes. It's pleasurable experience. But inside, I am profoundly unhappy. And it dawned on him. He was doing this stuff to become happy. But the more he did it, the less happy he became. And he concluded, and that's really unusual that somebody is so clear thinking about it. It's actually very simple. But he concluded that there is actually no connection between sensual stimulation and the pleasure that you can feel related to your body and mind and the state of happiness. You can be overly stimulated and be suicidal at the same time. In fact, they often kind of go together. People that are into overstimulating the body and mind often become quite suicidal. It's a direct consequence of the failure to experience what you're looking for. But in the process, you become utterly addicted and totally controlled by these substances and the ideas that have been produced. Happiness, happiness is a spiritual experience. It's not a material experience. The happiness that we are seeking is spiritual. We had a talk, when was that, yesterday? Yesterday in, in Brisbane. And we were talking about you know, in the, in, in the kids' fairy tales and the books and everything that people like to read when they're young and as they grow up. And they always end, and they lived happily ever after. Why, do they, why would somebody even write that? Why would you even write that? And why do you read that and you're not disturbed by that? Because it's utterly not true. But we're not disturbed because it appeals to us. It appeals to us because we are eternal spiritual beings having a temporary material experience through this body that we're wearing around. 
And this body is not us. And by nature, our nature is to exist in an uninterrupted state of perfect happiness. That is our natural condition. That is a spiritual condition. It is an eternal condition. But when we lose the plot and we start assuming this ridiculous thing that we're wearing around called a body, when we mistakenly identify with that as being who I am, oh my God, you've just opened up a can of misery. (laughs) Because when you go down that path, the assumption that the body is who I am, and you seek fulfillment of your desire for happiness, for love, for eternality, through the agency of this body, it's never going to work. It can't work. The nature of this world is it is temporary. Everything is transient. Everything that has a beginning also must come to an end. If you think that you can create through artificial means a life of perpetual happiness within the material dimension, you are sadly mistaken. You are, you are not just sadly mistaken. This idea can lead to untold suffering, so much anxiety, a deep depressive state. The good news is that's not what we're meant to be doing. We're not meant to be taking this idea, the idea of materialism, and actually running with it. That's like, this never works well for anyone. You're not alone in your unhappiness in this regard. This is everybody's experience. If we want to seek our eternal good, if we want even with the rest of what we are calling our life from now until the point of our death, to be happy, to be peaceful, to be a wonderful experience, we're going to have to make a U-turn because we're heading in the wrong direction. The idea that pursuing the path of materialism, that we are going to find what it is that we seek and desire, this idea is very dangerous and corrosive. And yet we have the entire humanity almost utterly corrupted by this idea and heading down this path. And of course, the result is what we see. The people in this world are taking unprecedented amounts of psychotropic substances, legal or illegal. The number of people that are dependent upon mood-altering substances to get through the day 
is totally scary. You have companies that market these products who have sales greater than the GDP of most countries in the world. And they're making their money along with all of the illegal drug industry. It's just in the mega, mega hundreds of billions of dollars every year. The choices that we make determine what our life experience will be. And learning to make good choices is really important and is actually a focus of what the yoga system is really about. The yoga system is not about some exercises and stretching. That's okay. That's part of it. It's way more than that. And it's way more important than that. It's learning how to live. Learning how to experience life. Right now, we're locked in this journey that ends where? It ends in death. It's just this like, it's just this one way direction that only ends one place. It ends in death. And we don't want to talk about that. We don't want to think about that. We don't want to deal with that. Let's just close our eyes and pretend everything's going to work out fine. It's not. It can. But you have to become an active participant in your life rather than being passively led by so many things. Now, one of the things that's been happening, of course, over the course of the last hundred years is the development of, of this intense psychological manipulation where you are being sold ideas on where happiness can be found and who you are. Since time immemorial, people have been wrongly assuming their body is them. If my body is male, I say, I am male. My body is female, I am a female. Not true. If my body is tall, I say, I am tall. If my body is short, I am short. I am pretty, I am ugly, I am handsome. I'm a slob. And we really get into identifying this, the labels attached to our body as being who we are. The most unfortunate, the most tragically unfortunate word that's now frequently used is selfie. What? This is the stupidest idea. And it's, an, it's a pretense. It's all fake. It's all fake. Everybody's pretending. 
or no, it's just me. Everybody's pretending. Everybody's putting on the best look, the best face. Oh, I'm really enjoying hair. You know, it's just like, get that. Oh, no, again, again, again. You know? The fact that you have to do it twice or three times shows you're just utterly faking it. And then you post your selfies. Number one, it's not you. It's not yourself. Yourself. In Sanskrit, this word self is atma, and it's referring to the spiritual existence, the spiritual being within, not to the body. The body's not who you are. So everybody's posting their selfies, and other people are looking at it. You know, and it's just like, you're living in that world like it's real. It's not. They're faking it. You're faking it. Everybody's not happy. They're just pretending to be happy. Get over it. Accept life for the reality that it is. Don't make it, you know, sound so morbidly miserable like I am. No. It's not, it doesn't have to be morbidly miserable. But don't turn it into some fantasy holiday where everything is perfect. No, that's Disneyland. That's not the real world. The princess and the prince and the, you know, the fairies and the unicorns and the rainbows. That's all material experience. There is no material experience that can utterly fulfill you. And here we are trying to, you know, pretend that we're living this wonderful life. And, and they've found, you know, that now the more time you spend on your phone looking at other people's profiles, if it is beyond about 20 minutes a day, your feeling of being incomplete unfulfilled, your envy of others, your tendency towards depression, it grows, it is directly proportionate to how much time you spend on this thing. But it's designed to be utterly addictive. They got a guy in, in Silicon Valley and, and he packs out auditoriums. They pay fifteen thousand dollars us dollars one day to attend his seminars and the only thing that he does is he teaches you how to design buttons buttons that cause people to like or not like or to look or to go here or to try this they, he designs them. He's got it down to an art form where you will be compelled to do something. Oh, I'm just making up my own mind. I'm deciding to do this by myself. No, you're not. You've become enslaved. Somebody's pulling your, your, your strings. You're a puppet. And you don't even see it. We're totally convinced that we're independent. We're making up our own mind. Many of us have never had an original thought. Everything that's in our head has been put there by someone else. That's scary. 
Think about this. A person walking through a jungle on a jungle path and you come to a fork in that path and you have been told when you go one way you will encounter a ferocious animal that will utterly tear you apart and the other road leads to this amazing place where people are wonderful there's an abundance of food and wealth and everything and this is your choice you're standing at the crossroads mm-mm, 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 and you don't know which one it is and whatever you choose there is a predetermined outcome how would that be if in real life i mean if you could meditate on that for a bit close your eyes and think about it and you had to imagine that you were in this fork and you had this choice and one is going to lead to a devastating outcome and one is going to be considered all happy and fuzzy and wonderful and you're not sure which way to go what to do what to do what to do in reality that's kind of like our life we are constantly being asked to make choices Unfortunately most of the time we're like that traveler we don't have a map we're ignorant we don't have a map we're just going to toss a coin we're just going to guess and hope that it works out okay we don't recognize how much we we the spiritual being within the body are utterly controlled by our mind and the desires that are constantly flowing from our body and we think oh if i can just fulfill this if i can just satisfy this want if i can just do this then somehow you know I will find the happiness that I seek. And we're constantly gambling. Actually gambling with our future. Because every single act that you perform will have a consequence. You can't engage in action you can't make decisions where there are no consequences every single thing that you decide to do and every action that you take will have a consequence there will be a result to it and we don't even think about that we just act on blind faith on assumptions because everybody else told me that if i go there if i just do it 
We know that one, right? Everything will be fine. You will be happy. We have been sold. Everybody that's selling anything is telling you this. Just follow their advice, accept what they are saying is true, and you will find happiness. Billions of people have been following this for so long, and we all end up in the same place, a rather unfortunate state. You have the power you have the power to make decisions and to engage in activity that produces amazing outcomes where you can actually experience the reality of a profound and ecstatic happiness. You can find the love that you seek. You can become free from all forms of fear. You can find a perfect shelter, which is what we seek. But in order for you to do that, you really need a makeover, a serious makeover. You need to understand you needed an injection of knowledge you need to understand what is real and what is not real you have to understand what will produce the results you desire and not just assume that your choice will deliver it I mean, we've descended into this chaos, this absolute chaos in the last five years. Of course, there's a lot of lead up to that. And it's getting worse where now people think just because I have a desire, I desire something, that this is therefore good, it is real, it will have an amazing outcome. I should totally identify with whatever desire I have and everything is going to be perfect. This is such a dangerous idea. It's utterly dangerous. It leads to great unhappiness. The need for us to cultivate a proper understanding of who we actually are, our true spiritual being, the need for us to become more deeply connected with ourself and to live a life that is in harmony, in harmony with this reality is what will produce happiness, is what will produce peace. It's what you are looking for. Everyone, whether they admit it or not, everyone is looking for the same thing because 
we are all the same. We are all eternal spiritual beings. Our nature, the nature of everyone, is to exist in a state of profound spiritual happiness and to be constantly bathed in an ocean of spiritual love. That is our eternal nature. That is what we deserve. That is what we are looking for. But we're looking in the wrong places. We're just taking all this information that's been fed to us to exploit us. And we're buying into this as being true and real. And it's not. And we are so utterly confused that even when we go down the wrong road and we are, we are just like, you know, experiencing profound unhappiness in our life, we keep going. And we think, oh, maybe I should just take the next turn or the next turn. No, no, no. You are on the wrong road. Doesn't matter what turn you make from here. You are on the wrong road. You're just going to be repeating the same things over and over again. And the worst part, you are going to keep doing it life after life after life. What you need to do is retrace your steps a little bit. You need to find your way onto a path that actually brings you to enlightenment where you get to see things with tremendous clarity, your own true spiritual being in existence, the spiritual being of others beyond this superficial and external covering. You can become free of all of the anxieties of wondering whether you are acceptable, whether you are lovable, whether you are attractive enough, all just based on this thing that you're dragging around called the body. doesn't matter what's going on with your body. It will not fulfill you. And if you tie your idea of being acceptable, lovable, desirable to the body that you're wearing even if it's in the most amazing condition right now, you are on the road to hell. You are on the road to unhappiness. Wow, that guy's so mean. <laughs> no, I'm your real friend. I'm telling you what you need to hear. What I'm selling, it doesn't involve that you give me anything. What I'm selling is an actual future. What I am selling is a new way of looking at things, looking at life, looking at the experience that we call life. I'm offering an opportunity to find perfection to find this condition of peace and happiness and love. But we can't keep going the wrong way. 
your choices in life really completely determine what you are going to experience. No outside force. You, what you let in. And if you live a life where you are enslaved by your mind and your desires, and whatever's going on there is your whole reality, I promise you copious amounts of unhappiness. Your mind is not a great spiritual enlightening personality. It describes in the Bhagavad Gita that one's mind can be their greatest friend or their greatest enemy. And what will determine that is whether you are the master of your mind and your senses or whether you are enslaved by your mind and your senses. That whatever's going on there, you are just on there for the ride. Wherever it goes, you just surrendered to it, going with it. If your mind tells you, you need this, this will make you happy, then I just buy it. And I obsess and focus on that and I chase it. And I work to get it. I've been doing this my whole life and I'm, it's not working. And what do I do? I keep doing it. Now I just learned to add a little Tabasco and a squeeze of lemon. I spice it up in the hope that if I spice it up or turn up the volume, it's somehow going to change. It's somehow going to improve. It doesn't. You just have more varieties of experience. You have more varieties of stimulation. You can stimulate your senses into an absolute lava. You're quivering <laughs> with pleasure and be absolutely suicidal. <laughs> There's a massive disconnect there, and we don't get it. I, I read another thing. In the, in the newspaper, it, it absolutely, well, I, I, I knew it was like that, but seeing somebody finally do a report. People are really preoccupied with the idea that sex will deliver the ultimate pleasurable experience where I'll be fulfilled and happy. They finally did a study on, on pornographic actors and actresses. And they are actors and act, they're acting. They're trying to sell that it's, they're not acting, that it's all happening and real and everybody buys it. If you buy it, you're an idiot. It's all acting. And they have found that the majority, we're talking about way over half, of all the male and female pornographic actors and actresses are completely sexually, sexually dysfunctional. 
What? You know, most people in their ignorance would think, oh, God, that sounds like a, what an amazing career. Now, I don't want to be seen by anybody, but I mean, the thought of being able to have unlimited amounts of sex and being paid for it, whoa. <laughs> and they've found that 58%, 58% of all the males who are engaged in the pornographic industry and we're talking about the vast majority, huge percentage, are 29 years or under, have to use not only Viagra to make these movies, but in their personal life, in their personal life, in relationships with other people, 58% have to use Viagra, otherwise they can't engage in a, in, a, in a sexual experience. And these are the people that are meant to be expert at it, who are just enjoying it to the max, and it's like, oh. <laughs> That's the reality. The reality is different than the fantasy. And we get always, with everything, locked into the fantasy the so-called ideal. There is an ideal, but that ideal is a spiritual ideal. It is not material. Your life is completely in your hands. If you don't like what's going on, if you're not perfectly satisfied with what's going on, or down in the area of being quite unhappy about what's going on. You have the power to change that. It's not going to be, it's not like taking a pill and then it's all over, it's all changed. No, you have gone down this trail, this rabbit hole for a long time. And it's going to take a little bit of work. There is going to be a process involved to clear the fog to experience what it is to be truly independent, to be truly able to freely make decisions that are in your best interest. It is in your power. It is not overly difficult. It's possible for anyone. But there is a need for you to undergo a process. This process has got two parts. One is to cultivate actual wisdom. When we receive spiritual knowledge from teachers that are truly enlightened and see with brilliant clarity, when we receive knowledge from them and we take that on board, that doesn't change everything. We need to be able to not just have ideas floating in our head. We need to come to see the reality of this so that this knowledge becomes applied to our life. Knowledge applied to one's life is called wisdom. 
This is how a wise person lives and acts. And what brings that change is the process of meditation. The process of meditation is about taking myself, my spiritual being, along with my body and mind, and immersing it in the cooling waters of spiritual sound, of transcendence. And what that will do will clear away the burden of anxiety and loneliness and emptiness and a lack of fulfillment and fears and all the things that I'm dealing with on a daily basis. We don't even realize how much we're affected by this. All somebody has to do is to, if you're walking down the street late at night and somebody suddenly steps out of a doorway and goes, <laughs> what happens to you? You just go like, <laughs> or you're in a plane and it hits a little turbulence. That's the time to get out the phone and take pictures of everybody. And you look at what everybody's going through. You know those white knuckle moments where you feel utterly helpless and you are suddenly faced with the reality, the utter, this reality of the temporary nature of this body and the fact that your experience of life in this body is going to end. And most people, when they are confronted with that, it is utterly terrifying. And we carry this around in our heart without recognizing that it is there. And these little things happen and they just, <gasps> this stuff jumps out. It doesn't just suddenly appear and happen. We're carrying this around all the time. We're carrying around far more than we're willing to recognize and admit. The spiritual experience of engaging in the process of meditation will gradually remove these burdens from the heart and from the mind. It will begin like the sun dissipates fog. It begins to dissipate the ignorance that is clouding us and making it so we can't see with clarity, so we can't act in our best interest. By receiving spiritual knowledge and engaging in a transformative process of meditation, one, everyone, every one of you, doesn't matter what your age is, what is your condition, each one of you in this very lifetime can attain spiritual enlightenment. This absolute clarity and this freedom from all this clutter and pain and difficulty and all the burdens that we carry in our heart. So I heard earlier my friend uh, Radha Krishnadas was offering um, a meditation intensive course 
I really encourage you, if you haven't gone down that road, really consider it. It's way more important than anything else that you've got on the menu. There is nothing more important. This can utterly save you from the greatest unhappiness, the greatest fear. Any difficulties that one experiences in life, one can be relieved of all of this through the meditative process. Okay? Didn't beat you up too much, you're all right, or what? Or is everybody in shock? <laughs> the big mean guy. Does anybody have a question? Maybe if anybody does, we could take one or two now, and then we will engage in this meditative process, which we are calling kirtan. In this singing meditation and then um, maybe when they serve the meal if anybody else would like to ask any question or whatever we can just hang out down here and feel free questioning is good and important you should not be shy about asking questions there are no dumb or stupid questions. Any question, any question that has to do with me learning about who I truly am and what my life is really meant to be is really important. Okay? Okay, we're going to get a mic back there. Namaste. Namaste. Um, I just wanted to ask about the human body. You said not to, like, not to worry about the human body, to worry about the spiritual side. And I just think, shouldn't you nourish the human body and take very good care of it? That's my question. Okay, thank you. So I don't want to be, for me, materialism is extremism. It's an extreme focus on something that's not actually you. And it is a form of imbalance. Also on the other side, when people falsely engage in what they think is spiritual activity, and utterly neglect the body and the world in which they live, this is a form of false spirituality. What we are trying to encourage, and I, I thank you for the question because I have overlooked to mention this, what we are looking for is a healthy balance. There is the recognition that I do have this body, that I have responsibilities that come with it. But I need to engage in a healthy spiritual development so that I am taking care of the material needs 
but I am also taking care of the spiritual needs. If I don't do that, I'm kind of like somebody that goes to a gym with a desire to build the most amazing quads and calf that you could ever imagine. And I get so into what I'm doing, I decide not to split up my time. So I just work on one leg. I'm just, oh. And then later I'm looking at the oh. And I'm just hopping around on one leg so it just gets more beautiful and that's like loopy. That's us. We're totally focused on the body and the material experience and utterly disregarding the spiritual needs, not wants. Many of the things that we feel are needs are actually wants. We've learned how not to distinguish. And that's part of a concerted effort, like I, I spoke to you before. Back in about 1926, oh, no, 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 1923, there was a, a banker from Lehman Brothers who talked about the need to reshape the human experience. He said that there is a need to transform people to want new things even before the old have worn out and been used. He said we must educate people in such a way that we become, instead of a needs-based society, a wants-based society. The result is that we cannot distinguish between needs and wants. We often feel wants to be needs. In order to live a balanced life, we, we, there are going to be needs that are associated with living in this world and having a material body, and we should take care of those. There are many responsibilities that we must take care of. But we must be balanced. We must develop a healthy spiritual growth. Our body needs food. You, the spiritual being, also needs spiritual food. And when we, when we adjust this imbalance and we bring it into balance, then our experience with this world will not be an unhappy one. We will see it for what it is, we will learn to live in it without going wild or being depressed, you know, jumping up and down, I won, I won, or being utterly, you know, suicidal, the other end of that spectrum. We'll be able to maintain a healthy balance and experience the good that can be experienced and had in this world. But our primary focus and our foundation will be the spiritual understanding. So thank you very much for that question. That was very helpful for everyone. Um, one moment. Unless you've got a loud voice. No, no, back there. Um, I want to ask why majority of people spend like 
like almost everyone spend money, lots of money on the um, on the funeral and on the tombs when they die. While you know, if this is just a piece of garment, which just nobody will bury the garment, right? They just threw it away. But human being, they spend so much money on you know F funerals. Yeah, and well, there's two things. One is culture. And the other one is manipulation. Manipulation comes in the form of when somebody that you cared about, when they have left their body and that body is left behind, and they take it to a funeral parlor, and then somebody is saying, we're so sorry that your dad has passed. He must have been a wonderful man. I know that you want to do something very wonderful to remember him and recognize what he's done for you. I would like to suggest this coffin. <laughs> and they will try to upgrade you, you know. It's a it's fantastic time. If your kids are sick, my God, you're so easy to exploit. I mean, I, I had a friend in Asia and there was this big Japanese kids hospital conglomerate. And they said their business model was so successful because in times of an emergency, parents will do anything for their children. That was their financial model. That's what made things work for them. And the other thing is with death. You know, we will get embarrassed into not doing enough to show our gratitude and to honor and, you know, somebody else is pushing ideas on us. But you also see that with many older cultures, there was often an understanding that there was some kind of continuation, some kind of afterlife. And by having these big lavish events, somehow that person will benefit from it. So there's cultural reasons and there are social pressures why people do that. The reality is as soon as a person is gone, that body is utterly useless. And while we may respect the person, it doesn't have to be transferred into this elaborate and expensive displays to cry kind of, you know, prove how much we cared for that person that's just not very that's not very enlightened and those it's either going to be pressures from others or cultural or social things that make it so people do these things it's but it's not necessary there are wonderful ways of showing profound appreciation and great respect for those who have departed and to declare our appreciation for what they have done for us. But it doesn't necessarily involve building massive shrines and, you know, somebody's just making a lot of money out of that one. Okay? So we'll, we'll um, chant a little bit. Um, I'll... I'll lead you in uh, um, Mahamantra chant. Mahamantra. Okay, absolutely, he says. So, um, 
I will lead and I ask you to respond and think of it like I described it earlier. This should be an experience where you open your heart and immerse yourself in this transcendental or spiritual waters so that our hearts and minds can become purified and we can begin to taste that flavor for which we are always anxious. Everybody is hankering for this happiness. And that happiness that we hanker for can be experienced in the meditative process. Yeah.